I, I overdosed multiple times. I've been dead for three minutes, like no heartbeat kind of thing. And I should not be around. Like there's so many times where I should have not made it. But when I look back, I'm like that there was somebody looking out for me. And there's a reason why I'm still here. Welcome to the Lively Joy podcast. Learn how to live your best life with host Sherry McDonald. She believes that every person has the right to be healthy and have a life that they love. Sherry, along with her guest, will help you live your best life by talking about everything from the latest health topics, how to find your passion, longevity, so you can live your best life longer, shifting your mindset, and more. And now, your host, Sherry. Welcome to another podcast. Today, our guest is Alexandra Miller, and she is a beautiful person inside and out. She's a two-time author, and I'm honored to have her on the show today. So welcome to the podcast, Alexandra. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I I think we met when you were, were you in high school when you came here and you did? Yeah. I was a senior in high school. I went to a Linworth alternative program. So we did uh, the last half of our senior year, we did like a walkabout is what it's called. So we went and did different projects and I came and worked with you and that was so exciting. It was such a wonderful time in my life. Yeah. Do you remember the wall behind me? You <laughs> helped me paint it. <laughs> looking at that and I was like I saw it and I was like did I that? <laughs> that's so funny I know the, the, the pictures that you did for me for my senior photos were just beautiful I still have them up on my Facebook oh great yeah that was fun that was real fun well I, I I'm so proud of you for your new book the woman I have been and I've read it and I'm telling you it was not the easiest book to read <laughs> Um, And I'm sure it wasn't the easiest book to write. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey and, you know, who you are and why you wrote this book? Okay. So I'm just going to dive right into it, I suppose. So this is the second book I've actually written. Um, The Women I've Been, the first book I wrote, Raw. So these are both poetry books. And I think it's kind of a journey through poetry, of what I've been through and different things in my life. My grandmother passed away. I lost my baby and I, uh, my four year relationship ended all in the same week. So that's where this book was kind of born. Um, I went to what I knew and writing is all that I really know besides staying sober and my spirituality. And I just dove right into all of that. And this book saved my life. And I wrote this very early on in this process, but it was the light that I needed to keep going. And it was sometimes you just got to stay busy when you're in the middle of something like that. Just do the next right thing. That's what I've always been told is what's the next right thing to do. And for me, it was writing poetry and then publishing this book and putting it together with my friend, Caitlin, who uh, designed the cover for me. Yeah. I was just, yeah, it's super exciting. I, I, it's a very personal thing that I put out there. I'm much more open with talking about my addiction than I am about grief and things like that. So this was, it was hard for me to be this honest about grief and depression. And I mean, I talk about all sorts of things through this book. So kind of leading into that, I guess I'll kind of, you know, talk about how I even got here in the first place. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio as, um, love Columbus, miss Columbus so terribly. I live in Florida now and it's nice to have the warmth, but I do miss the seasons. I 
falls like coming around and it's now a, a brisk 90 degrees so oh, i'm yeah. like <laughs> do you come back to columbus ever um i do so I don't fly. I'm afraid of heights really. <laughs> and uh, so I drive home occasionally. It's just, it's a really long trip. Yeah. Um, so I usually try to make it back about once a year, but sometimes it's once every two years. I was just home when my grandmother passed in June. So I, um, I think that I won't be coming back again until probably next summer or fall I would really love to come during fall because it's my favorite to you know walk around high banks mm. is just it's beautiful yeah. it's a it's its own type of peace and I miss that here you have a I love the wilderness and all but you never know what's around the corner here like an alligator or all sorts of stuff so <laughs> that's pretty so, scary <laughs> yeah my first time I went hiking out here I went by myself and I was like oh I'm gonna have such a great day and I went around a corner and there was an alligator I was like goodbye <laughs> yeah that's scary absolutely so grew up in Columbus you know went to Worthington schools all of that kind of stuff and all of my life growing up I always kind of felt like I didn't fit in I struggled with that I always looked for the external to bring me happiness and that really wasn't working because I was bullied a lot in school you know, this was the late 90s, early 2000s. I, it wasn't talked about as much in schools about bullying and all of those kinds of things. And I, I just felt very outcasted. Do you mind I, saying why you were bullied? No, no, not at all. I mean, my weight fluctuated a lot as a young child. I had a lot of anxiety and depression. And I don't think the other kids really understood that. Um, at such a young age, I started self-harming when I was eight years old, and that's really hard for another eight-year-old to understand. So, and I completely understand that. Um, I think there was also just, you know, there was a lot of differences between me and them. I, I, I tended to get really excited about um, like books and movies and kind of live in that. And um, that was an escape for me. I was always looking for an escape from reality. And I think other kids like played sports and things like that. And, you know, did yeah. all of the things. And I, I really wasn't a sports person. Um, my dad coached me in soccer and I was like, I've had enough of this. I just, I was much more artistic than academic sometimes. And I just didn't have the same interests as a lot of the other children. And then when I wasn't getting that validation from other kids, I would seek their attention, you know, in any way that I could get it because I needed that attention as a child, like your brain is developing, you crave human interaction. And I just wasn't getting it in a positive way. So I settled for negative. And then I would take that and turn it on myself internally. So that's where I kind of learned different coping mechanisms when I was young. Um, that's where, when I was eight years old, I started self-harming. I started having a lot of anxiety, um, suicide ideations, things like that at such a young age. And it got to the point where I think it was about 13 or 14 and I went out to my parents' bar and I was like, well, this seems to work for people like, I don't know really much about it. So I poured myself a shot of wild Turkey and uh, I remember exactly what it was. I drank a shot of it and I spit it back into the glass. I was like, that's disgusting. I used to like make 
an entire thing of cookies and eat them all to myself. Um, my ideal nights with myself was ordering a pizza, getting sushi from Kroger and dessert and just like binging to deal with my emotions. So my weight was fluctuating a lot. And um, I started being put on medication also pretty young that had me gain weight. So after going through the worst of the bullying in middle school, I decided to go to the Linworth Alternative Program, which I credit for saving my life at the time and why I even finished high school because I probably would have dropped out. You know, and I really love the way that Linworth lets you express yourself as who you are as an individual. And that was like the first place that, that I'd ever been that was like, be you, be different. And that's okay. Like, you don't have to be this cookie cutter thing. Cause I was very, you know, at the time I couldn't fit in Hollister. I couldn't fit in Abercrombie. Like that was, I was really depressed over those kinds of things. And this was a place that told me like, wear whatever you want and like, you know, be whatever you want. I started making friends there for the first time, which was just such a beautiful thing for me. I had a friend who, I mean, I was always very socially anxious and I would sit against the wall and my friend now, Liz, she uh, came up to me. She's like, yeah, you're not going to sit against this wall for four years. So you got to get up and like interact with people. So she kind of gave me the push that I needed. And I started more social, started making friends, but what comes with that at that age is drinking and, you know, other drugs. That was when I really first discovered how I liked the effect that alcohol and drugs gave me. And I wasn't really slow about it at all. I started drinking when I was 14, freshman year of high school, and I started drinking every day pretty quickly. I would take a water bottle of, like, I'd fill it with whatever my parents had in their liquor cabinet, and I would take that with me to school with a little bit of crystal light. And I would go to school like that every day. It was, it became very chaotic at 14. And I had, you know, my friends even came to me who were doing some of the same things, but said like, you're kind of scaring us. You're taking this to another level. So I would switch drugs and do different things like smoke weed for years and to try to appease everybody. You know, I didn't want to lose those friendships. I, I'm a very also codependent person. So I became very dependent on these friendships because I didn't have them when I was younger. So now I have this thing and I don't want to lose it. But I also found this other thing that makes me feel better, that makes me able to have social interaction, that makes me able to function about my day. And I really wasn't willing to give it up entirely, especially at 15 and 16 years old. I wasn't, you know, I didn't even really understand the consequences of my actions. I truly just thought I was having fun. You know, I'm I'm young, who cares? Like, I really wasn't even interested in going to college that much. I wasn't interested in my academics. I was just worried about how do I get substances inside of me and how do I feel better about myself? Because by that point, my depression had gotten pretty bad. I was really hiding it from a lot of people, but I would, I would really internalize a lot of how I felt about myself from the younger years. And I brought that into who I was becoming support from your parents at all during that time? Yeah, they they really did the best that they could. You know, they took me to therapists. They took me to psychiatrists. Um, I even got like an IEP at school. I don't even remember what that stands for, but they, they give you kind of like extra time during tests and stuff. So they, my parents really did try. They just had no idea like what to do with me, to be honest. Like, and you know, I think that everybody 
has their own issues and there's no parent book that has all of the answers. Like there's no parent book that says like, what do you do when your child becomes like addicted to drugs? Like, you know, and they didn't really know how bad it was yet. You know, they kind of, they would catch me sometimes smoking weed or something and they would ground me and it really wouldn't make a difference, you know, like, yeah, they can only do so much for you. Yeah. Yeah, they were, they really, they did the best that they could. And they, (laughs) we had no idea kind of how much worse it would get, you know, leading up to the end of high school. The time that I spent with you was actually the first time I had ever experienced being sober. Um, I didn't consciously go into that being like, oh, I'm going to stop drinking or using. I didn't really think I had a problem at that time. No, I had to to be, have your head together and you know, knew what you were going to do. So, yeah. I, it was senior year. I was like, you know, trying to have some goals for myself. I was like, okay, high school is ending. Like this is ending. What are we going to do? Because I mean, I truly always thought that I would die before I graduated from high school. Like I never thought that I would even survive that, but there I was. And I was like, okay, like let's, I have goals as far as fitness and things like that. And I, I always kind of would have this hope inside of me that things would get better. So I, some, I didn't really make the conscious decision, just kind of it happened. I wasn't around my friends anymore because we all went and did different projects. So I came to spend time with you and I was, you know, being active, um, learning different things about fitness, you know, helping you paint your studio, all that kind of thing. And I was happy. I didn't need a substance to be happy. And I was learning new coping skills to how to deal with life. Granted, I didn't have a ton of life going on. I was just kind of like coming and working out and that was like, and helping you. And that was like my whole day. Like, and I didn't really have much interaction with my friends. And that was for about three months, I think. And then I went to the next place and it was nowhere near as fun as your, you. And like, it was awful. They treated me just like, uh, I was just an employee, like a another gym, another studio. I, I did. I went to a place in Worthington. It was like, they have multiple gyms. I, I don't really remember how I got into this place, but they even had me like checking the chemicals in the pool, like full blown, like employee. So I was, uh, I was not happy there at all. So I have this outside thing that's making me unhappy. And what is, what does Allie do to or Alexandra do to cope with that drugs, alcohol, whatever I know to make me feel better about what's going on. And as I'm getting closer to graduation, um, I was in my first like semi-serious relationship and that came to an end as high school ended. And I felt like everything in the world was being pulled out from underneath me and I didn't know what to do. And my depression came back so bad and I remember just thinking like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm too afraid to leave home to go to school. I had a 3.0 GPA by some grace, but I didn't believe in myself. I didn't believe in myself and I didn't think that I was worthy of other things. So I really didn't have any plans and I just continued to drink, smoke weed. I decided to sign up for Columbus State to kind of like appease my parents that I was doing something. During this time, I was um, sexually assaulted for the first time in my life. And 
I didn't know how to handle that. I mean, really who does? And especially what 18 year old knows how to handle that. I was in and out of psychiatric hospitals. I, I really didn't know how to deal with life anymore. Cause I really didn't want to, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do any of it. And, um, that wasn't working for me. And that was when I was introduced to heroin, which is where kind of my entire life went off a cliff. It was right during, you know, when the opiate epidemic kind of was going on. Uh, this was 2010. I, you know, I never really thought that much about it. I never really thought that I, I knew that I did drugs too much and I knew that I used them in an inappropriate way, but I never thought that I would do like hard substances. I never thought that I would be like an addict. I never thought that I would be, um, you know, the person that wasn't welcome at their house anymore. All sorts of different consequences that ended up happening for me. And every line that I said I wasn't going to cross, I continued to cross time and time again. Like, oh, I'm only going to smoke this substance. I'm only going to snort it. Now I'm using intravenously. Like it's just continued to progress and progress and progress. And the people around me would watch kind of helplessly as I declined into this person that I didn't recognize. And, you know, I would try to go to treatment centers, I'd go to detoxes, but usually it was just for like purposes of outside things. Like I need a home. My parents were going to kick me out of the house unless I go to rehab. So I go to rehab. You know, I go to rehab because I want to keep my job, things like that. At that time, I was working for a law firm and they were very gracious with me for two years. You know, there gets to a point when the people in your life really start having to protect themselves from you. Um, and I was a hurricane everywhere that I went. My decisions and my addiction led me to, uh, I was in drug court with uh, Judge Vanderkar. And uh, they, back when they first started this in the Franklin County program, and I, I was in that program for two years and I was incapable still of being honest. I had, I didn't realize that my biggest problem was me. I thought my problem was drugs and alcohol. I thought that I can do this like on my own. I don't need any help. Like I was sitting in a courtroom with people who you know, grew up much differently than me. And I was just like, okay, I don't, I can't relate to this at all. Like I work in a law firm. Like I, I know my, my place in life and like, I'll just go on my way. Like I'll be fine. And here I was sitting in the front row, trying to play this part of somebody that I really wasn't like, I just tried to play this, um, innocent, like girl that was like recovering and I was not at all. I was using on the weekends. Somehow it was early enough in my addiction that I was able to kind of wear different masks, but it got to a point where I wasn't able to do that. There was no control anymore. After I graduated from that program, somehow there was no longer any threat of jail, like no longer anything keeping me from doing whatever I wanted to do. So except for like consequences that were continuing to pile up like car accidents, you know, like all sorts of things. I was just, I really truly hated myself. And I, I didn't understand why I couldn't just stop, why I couldn't get my life together um, for my parents, like for myself, like anything. I just, there was no human power 
that was going to get me sober. The first time that I experienced long-term, not really long-term, but the longest period that I had known at that time sobriety was in 2015. I got sober at an apartment off of Broad Meadows in Worthington. And I was living there by myself. Um, my boyfriend that I was with at the time had stolen my last $200. And I was like, okay, what do I do now? Like I could go and rip and run and do all the things that I know can get me what I need to get well. Cause I'm sick at this point, but something inside of me said, like, just ask for help. Like, just ask for help. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm tired of, like, at that point, my family had come and put a lock on the steering wheel of my vehicle so that I couldn't even drive to go get drugs anymore. They would, like, come and unlock it when I had to go to work. And then when I would come home, they would come over and lock it again. They did all sorts of things to try to prevent me from using drugs, but there was nothing that they could do. I would find ways around it. And I finally looked in the mirror and I was like, I don't, I don't know who I am. This is not what I imagined I would ever be. When they ask you what you, what you want to be when you grow up, it wasn't a drug addict. Sure. So I did the things that I had learned in treatment centers. You know, I went to meetings for a minute and I took some things from the meetings, but I really wasn't truly ready to fully embrace that yet at that time. Um, I got on this drug Vivitrol, which is an opiate blocker that I kind of credit for keeping me sober for a year. I went and picked up my one-year medallion and no one knew who I was. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's probably not good. And during this time period of a year, I developed a spirituality that I had never known before. Like some things had been planted inside of me, but I still didn't really like give up any kind of control. I'm a very good at just like controlling my entire life. Like I want to manipulate what people think of me. Like I want to control everything and especially my body and how I look to others. And I kind of started going into my eating disorder again. And that's truly what led me back out. I, did an interview about Vivitrol on the news and I saw myself in that video and I was like oh my god like I've worked so hard to lose weight and I'm looking at myself and I thought I was so fat like I was so disgusted with myself I I didn't all of those bad thoughts about myself just came rushing back in and I had no defense against them so I went back out and I used for about two months or something. And it brought me to a new low that I had never known before. So at that point, I was pretty much homeless, like living out of my car. And I was begging for help. I was smoking crack and doing heroin. And it was making me extremely paranoid. And just I was not in a good place. And I thought to myself, I need a vacation. Uh, That's really what I need. So I went into Google and I typed in luxury rehabs in Florida. And I was just like, I just need to be by the beach, like get out of this Ohio weather. That's what's going to fix this. And that was my, the first time I ever packed everything I owned in in a trash bag and got on a Greyhound bus and came down to Florida. 
where I knew no one. And I thought I was just coming down here for 30 days so I could get back in the house again and, you know, do the same things. But that's not what ended up happening. My parents ended up selling my car while I was in treatment. Uh, it was their car, but I was using it. They were allowing me to use it. And um, they were like, you can't come home. Like they did me the biggest favor in saying, we're not going to continue to enable you anymore. Like you can't just come here and do the same things over and over again. And I'm like walking around this treatment center telling people I'm homeless. I have nowhere to go. I don't know what to do. Um, and they were like, well, you could go to a halfway house. You could go to IOP, you know, you could go to meetings and uh, find people that will help you learn to live a new way of life. And um, so that's what I did initially. That was my, I started a little bit, right? Everybody was getting, going to meetings. So I went to meetings. Everybody it's suggested to go to meetings and get a sponsor. So I got a sponsor. I didn't really call her, but I got a sponsor and everybody got a boyfriend. So I got a boyfriend and, uh, that became my program was my boyfriend and we ended up going out on another run and that led me up to Pennsylvania for the final at least for that I've known uh the final use that I've had and that was the <laughs> that that brought me to my knees uh I ended up very homeless in uh, a town where I knew no one except for him and he was abusive. Um, you know, we, we were sleeping on the floor of this woman's house for two months and I, I was, had the sneaking suspicion that they did not like me. And, um, I knew my life was in danger. I didn't want to end up on like Dateline or, um, or I knew it would either end up that way or I was going to overdose or get shot in a drug deal gone wrong because my boyfriend really liked to steal from people once he started using. Um, so, and, and here I was laying next to this person who didn't care about me, you know? Like I moved heaven and earth to go be next to him because I'm codependent. And this person like was comfortable putting their hands on me. And this person was sick, just as sick as I was. And... I realized in that moment, I'm going to die here. Um, if not by them, then by me. And I, I did, I thought I wanted to die. And I, I did the last thing that I knew what to do. I reached out to some of my friends that I had made in Florida. And I said, I need help. Like, I think I'm going to die. And they just, the cavalry came running. Like they set me up to go in a treatment center. I ended up leaving at like three o'clock in the morning. Um, cause I knew things were going to get really bad. So I left in a hurry and, um, I ended up going to a detox in Cherry Hill, New Jersey and kind of getting cleaned up there. And then I took a train because I don't fly. Mm -hmm. I took a train down to Florida and that was a long train ride. Um, and I went back to treatment for the final time, the 15th time. And um, I was like, all right, I'm ready. I'm seeing how other people around me that I went into treatment with last time are now getting a year sober, now having actual lives, now having families, like having all these promises that I've heard come true for them. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to give this everything I have because if I don't, I'm dead. Um, 
And I knew that without a doubt, I knew that I was done. I knew that I couldn't just drink alcohol. Like I'm, I'm just not able to do that. I knew that I couldn't just smoke weed. Um, I'm not that kind of person because when I try to like have a glass of wine at dinner, it ends up with me shooting heroin the next day. And that's not what normal people do. So I dove into the program. I found a woman that I, that she had something I wanted and it wasn't just like, I liked her shoes and I liked her car. She had a grace about her. She had integrity. She was able to show up for work on time. She was able to be honest, like her parents could look her in the eye and know that, you know, she was going to wake up the next morning. And I wanted all of those things. I wanted trust. I wanted um, to be able to look myself in the mirror and like what I saw and know that I wasn't going to just burn my life down. Um, So I went to the program. I went through uh, about 60 days inpatient that I did this time. And I went to a halfway house after. And I remember the first day that I woke up and I realized I hadn't thought about killing myself in weeks. And I was like, oh my God, I think this is actually working. And I just continued to follow every suggestion that was given to me. Um, I went to meetings. I made coffee at the meetings. I you know, walked up to people and introduced myself, even though I absolutely hate doing that. I have the worst social anxiety and I have no idea what to say to people. And I, I was so scared. I, I, I really couldn't look people in the eye, but I would go up to people and introduce myself and give them my phone number, get other women's phone numbers. And I did everything that I had to do. Um, my eating disorder was still a problem for me though, at this time. Um, I still tied a lot of my worth into what I looked like, into my body, um, into what other people thought of me. I have always been so concerned of what other people have thought about me. And it's been, in the last couple of years, it's been introduced to me that what other people think of me is truly none of my business. Um, I like that. I love that because it kind of gives me that freedom mm-hmm. to let go of what I cannot control. I, I truly can't. And I would run around trying to control what everybody thought of me, but that's an impossible feat. So I ended up being um, given a choice, like you can continue with your eating disorder or you can get kicked out of this halfway house because it was getting that bad. Um, I I was very unhappy and I was sliding backwards. And thankfully I had made so many friends and women that knew what I was going through that could understand the emotions and they came and rallied around me and lifted me up and loved me when I could not love myself. And that's what I have learned in one of the many things that I've learned and while in sobriety is finding women that have something that I want that I admire and asking them, you know, really learning from them. How did you get to where you are? Um, really, truly sitting and listening. I spent so many times like having conversations with people where I was truly just like, not really there, not really listening, just focused on myself. I have a me problem. And it's always me, 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 me. Um, so they encouraged me to help others. And I was always like, what do I have to offer other people? And they would always say, well, why don't you just take a look back at your whole story? And then you can, you know, truly 
wonder what you have to offer others. I've stayed sober through a lot of really hard things. Went through, you know, death, loss, breakups, friendships being over, all sorts of things. And especially the more recent things that happened in my life. I couldn't think of a more perfect like relapse invitation that had like a bow on it, but that ne- that thought never crossed my mind because throughout this process, that obsession of needing drugs and alcohol to to get outside of myself that's been removed from me. Like I found a spirituality. Uh, a huge part of my story is I started going to church. I was raised Jewish, and I always knew that there was a God and I was but I just thought he didn't like me like I was like I always connected with uh, that movie Bruce Almighty where he was like God is a mean kid on an ant hill and like I'm the little ant and that's how I always felt I was like God doesn't like me God has revealed himself to me through my sobriety and um, really showed me kind of how much there was something looking out for me all these times because I, I overdosed multiple times. I've been dead for three minutes, like no heartbeat kind of thing. And I should not be around. Like there's so many times where I should have not made it. But when I look back, I'm like that there was somebody looking out for me. And there's a reason why I'm still here. I always struggled also with that. Like I don't have, I always used to think I don't have purpose. Like what, what am I supposed to do? I always remember I wanted to write a book and I was like, I can't do it. I have no self-esteem. Like I, I always get in my own way. I am my worst enemy and I am the one standing in front of me. The only one that can take me off of my path truly is me. Um, and I sat and I wrote poetry and I told no one about it for years. My friend encouraged me to start an Instagram about four years ago. I was about a year sober when I started it and it's the raw poetry on Instagram. And I just started posting here and there, some stuff that I was writing and it started to grow a little bit. I caught, you know, I started getting a couple hundred people following me and then it grew and it took about the third year before I started getting thousands of people following me. But now in its fourth year, I have like over 11,000 followers. And for me, that's like, it's just a dream come true. It's not about the number of people or anything. It's just that my work gets out there and gets read and that I'm able to connect with people all over the world. I have friends like in Canada, I have friends in other countries. I, my book has been purchased in Germany. Like that's insane to me that I was like, I'm an international author. That's amazing. (laughs) Your book is very powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The, the first book that I published I sat on that book for oh at least the better part of a year I had meetings with some friends of mine um, my friend my good friend Rihanna she has been like a guide to me in my life uh, and sat down and did like zoom meetings with me trying to structure an outline for my book my my friends are just so wonderful and I just kept telling myself like I can't do this I don't know how to do it I don't know how I don't know how to do it because I've never done it before Well, I didn't know how to stay sober because I had never done that before until I just woke up and started doing it and stopped trying to wonder, how am I going to do it? How do I give my will over? Like, how do I do all these things? I just did it. So I woke up 
and I realized that I could do it. And I got on the website and I just was like, wow, this is a lot easier than I thought, which is the thought that occurs to me a lot of times in life. I, I dropped that book that day. I, the, the hardest part, honestly, was getting the formatting right of all the pages. It wasn't even writing it. but And I published that book and the, the people that came and bought that book and like supported me and rallied around me, it was, it was unbelievable. I was just so grateful. And in that moment, I knew that this is, that this is a part of my purpose um, and it's what makes me happy. And I was finding happiness for once inside of myself through my sobriety, through these books, through poetry. That's when I feel like my authentic self. That's when I feel the most alive. And I was able to, you know, my mom, she goes to a weekly meeting for parents of people with, uh, kids who have drug addictions and things like that and you know for all those years she used to go to that meeting and tell them all the, sh the stuff that I had been doing and um, now she's able to go and tell them that I have five years sober that I published a book and they were able to read one of my poems for their like opening oh. for one of the meetings it's actually funny because uh, Judge Vandercar the same judge who had me in drug court used to go to that meeting and my mother told him that I'm sober now and she also told him that I hadn't, was not sober when I was in the drug court. He wasn't surprised, but uh, <laughs> I know I wasn't the only one, but, you know, all of these miracles that have happened in my life, it's such a gift. Actually, one of the, she went to a different meeting, I remember, and one of the firefighters or the EMTs that had brought me back to life when I had died was telling my story and my mother was listening and she ended up approaching him afterwards and saying like where was this he, he he told her and she was like that was my daughter and he said I'm she's still alive like I'm surprised she's still alive and it's like it's so incredible the things that I've survived I've been through and it's like it's just been such a journey and it's not always easy um you know I'm going through another hard season in my life but I believe that we all do that we all go through ups and downs and different seasons of our life but it's really it's not what happens to me it's how I can change it and work it for me I believe that there's a message to be carried from all of this and that there's going to be another scared girl out there who went through what I've been through that that I can connect with because there were people who had been through what I had been through and they were the only people that I could connect with. I, I could, you know, have my mom tell me that she understood till the cows come home. But at the end of the day, I was like, you don't get it. Yeah. I think so many people in my family, we have quite a few people that have, you know, addictions and, and problems as well. And I think so many people out there need to hear this. And one of the things that, that you said that I've never had an addiction problem, but I think what you said about the women around you and the people around you that brings you up. I remember when, you know, I, I didn't come from the greatest background and bring upbringing. And uh, I started doing personal training because I loved fitness and I always wanted to do it. So I got a job and um, I, I did my internship in Powell, Ohio, and it was a, a small personal training center. And I remember that some of my clients would come in and they would drive these really nice sports cars. And, you know, they had really good jobs. They dressed really nice. And, and the, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, 
I want that, you know, not, not because it's things, but it's like, I want to be better. I want to be a better person. I want to do better. I want to be more successful. So I do think that being around people that are better than you, that they can help you, that can support you makes a huge difference. Absolutely. I had up until that point, I'd only surrounded myself with other people that were using, yeah. like I, I wasn't surrounding myself with people who had been using and had found a different way of life. I was told when I got sober, surround yourself with the women who talk the talk and walk the walk. Um, surround yourself with women who you look up to who are successful, who um, you know have a presence about them. I look for people now, like in my friendships that are, you know, we all go through things. I'm obviously understanding of that, but more, you know, more positive women, women that, you know, go through things. We go through things together um, as a unit. Um, I, when I was going through everything I went through in June, I was at my grandmother's funeral uh, with my family, obviously not with the person that I was with for four years. And I had a friend who flew up to be with me during that process and drove back to Florida with me. Mm -hmm. And I had another friend who came to my house before I came home and cleaned my house for me and removed like all the photos and everything that they just, they surrounded me and they lifted me up. And I do the same for them when they go through hard times, um, you know, friendships always ebb and flow, but the love that I have for these women is, it's unparalleled to anything I've ever experienced because, and I didn't really like women that much growing up. Um, I was intimidated by other women, uh, you know, especially if I, if another woman that would walk in and be prettier than me at a treatment center, I'd be like, it's over. Like I, I didn't like it. And I always liked the attention more from men, but now in my sobriety, I, I go towards the women more. I attend women-only meetings sometimes. I do women's step studies, all different things. I also do um, Codependence Anonymous. I'm working with currently. I do all sorts of different things because I believe that I always want to be bettering myself. There's never going to be a point where I'm like, I'm good. Like I've learned everything I need to do. I've grown all I need to grow and I'm this flower's done. Uh, I'm never going to reach that point. Um, I don't think anyone does. No. Yeah. And I, but I never even, it was never a concept that I had of bettering myself when I was younger. I didn't even understand anything like that. Um, and now I have like actual, you know, goals. I have a, a place to live, which I did not have before. Uh, you know, the material things started coming back and then also the the things inside of me started coming back or being birthed even for the first time. I realized for the first time, like I actually had goals and dreams that could, that I could go after that they weren't just unachievable things that I had to sit around and be miserable about because I was miserable for a very good portion of my life. And I realized that happiness is, it truly is a choice. And it's the way that I look at the world. My perspective was so horrible and Sometimes it can still be, and I have to check myself. A lot of times I'll restart my day. I daily practice of what I do is I wake up and I meditate. I try to listen to a podcast and put myself like in a good space, in a good frame of mind. Um, 
because if I wake up and I'm like, oh, I have to go to work again. It's another day. Blah, blah, blah. No, I get to go to work. I get to wake up. I get to make a cup of coffee and take my dog out. I have the privilege of doing all of these things because there are a lot of people that I know that are not able to do these things. They are not here anymore. That's just the reality of, you know, life of drug addiction of any of it. We could all die tomorrow. So, you know, I tried to be the best version of myself every day. And sometimes that's giving myself the grace to say like the best I could do today was get up and take a shower and go outside and get some sun. And maybe that's the best I could do that day, but not beating myself up over it. These are all the things that I'm learning with somebody else's journey is not necessarily my journey and the comparison that ran my life. I mean, (laughs) we all live in the social media day and age where they're all posting, you know, the best things that are happening. Nobody's getting online and saying like, I have no (laughs) self-esteem, you know? Yeah. But comparing yourself to all of those things, that's something that I also knew I had to remove. I I unfollowed a lot of different accounts that were unhealthy for me, especially being in eating disorder recovery. I have to be very careful with what I intake, you know, books, movies, music, online like I think that everything is essentially food and you just have to be so careful with what you intake because I'm if you sit around and I don't I love some true crime but if I watch nothing but true crime for you know 48 hours am I going to be super spiritual probably not (laughs) yeah I think I think what you said you know self-care is very important like getting up and listening to you know doing some meditation listening to something positive makes us think, like you said, what you're grateful for. You're grateful to take the dog out every day, to be able to get up every day. It's the little things that we, you know, to be grateful for and to think about every day. But I think it makes you start your day better into more positive. Absolutely. And I think it helps everyone. Absolutely. That's something that anybody can do. Um, for me, meditation was really hard in the beginning. I could not sit still with my thoughts for 30 seconds, let alone an hour. Um, you do an hour? I do an hour sometimes. I, I do it. I go a lot. Um, I do some energy work and stuff that recently I've really gotten into. I've, I've dove into a whole new level of my spirituality, but sometimes I will sit and do 30 minutes an hour because I'm, that's where I feel free. I mean, I, I can sit now and practice mindfulness. I can do these things. And before, I mean, they used to have us do a form of meditation and treatment centers and I would get up and leave. Cause I was like, it's too painful for me to sit with my thoughts and it's just really a small practice. So I started small. I started with like one or two minute meditations. I use an app called insight timer and hmm. I started with like a few minutes a day. And then I just started building up after that. Um, And they have just every kind of meditation that you could want. They have like music, they have all sorts of things. So I enjoy doing that. I kind of made, I've made a little ritual out of it. You know, I light a candle, I get myself into a comfortable space. That's something that is really important to me because my living space is my home and I didn't have a home for so many years. So now that's something that's really important to me. I also believe that the what my house looks like is kind of like a reflection of what's going on inside. So I try to keep it organized to the best of my ability. And 
you know, all of these things help bring me to being my, the highest version of myself, elevating myself, elevating my vibration that I put out into the world and what I'm going to attract. Um, that's something that I've been learning over the last year or so, um, that I've really started focusing on the next level of my spirituality and all those kinds of things. That's amazing. I, um, I don't know if you can see my goals back here and my, <laughs> so I do sound healing and it's very effective too, just the sounds and the tone. So I do my meditation, you know, with, with sound playing the bowls, but they're real powerful. They are. I, I go to a, a Reiki. Sometimes I do some private Reiki sessions and she'll sometimes use sound bowls and, um, it's just incredible. I just, it's incredible the shift that I feel mentally and internally when I, when I allow myself to be open. So it's, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Well, you're a beautiful writer. Is there another book coming soon or are you thinking about that at all? So my next project that I think I really want to work on is writing my whole story. It's something that I have worked on before and I I, because when I started using I I knew that I would have a story to tell but the first draft of that book albeit 200 pages is kind of not the version of myself that I wish to put out into the world anymore so I, I I think I would like to sit down and I think this will probably be the third or fourth version that I try to write, but I feel now that I'm much more able to express the message that I want to convey. I used to think that heroin was the whole story. And now I realize that it was just a part of the story, the stepping stone to bring me to who I was supposed to be. Can you read the last page of your, your book? I I love, I feel like some part of me died, but maybe that's how the caterpillar feels when she's becoming the butterfly. Yeah, I love that. I really do. I, I believe that we have to let old things die to become new. And I believe that I've been many versions of myself. That's why I call it the women I have been. And I feel that, you know, those things have those, those versions of me have died and I'm no longer that and I'm able to continue to grow into new versions of myself that are better. That's, that's all that I can hope to do in the world and whatever, you know, God chose me for, I hope that I can show up for that. Well, I'm very proud of you. And I know that you go, you'll continue to do great things. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. For- Thank you for being on the podcast. I'm hoping you will share this podcast so that others that are struggling can hear it. Addiction is a hard journey. Everybody is here for a reason, as Alexandria said. Find someone or many that can bring you up and help bring others up. I want to say thank you to Alexandria's parents for sticking by her. I know how hard it is to support but not to disable. So thank you for that. Thank you, Alexandria, for sharing your journey. You are here for a reason. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the Lively Joy podcast. Check out the show notes below with links mentioned in this episode. And please take a moment to subscribe. That helps others find the show. Feel free to share this podcast with your family and friends. And if you'd like, you can also follow us on social media. See the links below. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time with more on living your best life.